Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander, usually from Yerushalayim, Kir HaKodesh. But today I'm speaking from the airport in Ben-Gurion, airport in Tel Aviv, in Lod. And I'm here today to give you an exciting report directly from the airport where we are absorbing uh, thousands and thousands of Jews uh, from around uh, Eastern Europe, from the Ukraine, from Romania, from Moldova, from Russia, um, from all those countries. And we are watching the ingathering of the exiles happen before our eyes. It's a very exciting uh, event. I have been absent for the past uh, couple weeks because I have been uh, both in Eastern Europe helping out on that side of the, the, uh, the table. And now I am back in Israel and I'm back on the show and hopefully I will be sharing with you um, a lot of my experiences while I was gone and what I'm doing here. Uh, Israel Unplugged is uh, the place where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process so we're focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles and I'm here with my co-host Rabbi Moshe Lichtman from Beit Shemesh. Yes, yes, and I am uh, very happy that Josh is back with us uh, to share share with me the uh, the zchut, the merit of uh, talking to you. Uh, so we hope we hope we're going to have a great show today. And we want to encourage everyone to go to our respective websites. Uh, Rabbi Lichtman's website is toratzion.com, and uh, and mine is it's time to leave uh, both these websites are great resources for those interested in uh, Aliyah, those interested in the whole concept of the ingathering of the exiles. And uh, we are happy to bring this to you live, like I said, from the Holy Land. And uh, we will be back just in a few minutes after these messages. I just want to say that uh, I'm happy to be back. It's been a long ride and we still have a long way to go. And we have a very, very serious message coming up after the break. So stay with us and we'll be right back. did a nice Jewish girl from Delaware end up living in Israel? Shalom! I'm Natalie Sapinski. Join me on my show, Returning Home. Meet different people who have moved to Israel. Hear their personal stories, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. Each week, we talk to experts on immigration and the process of moving to Israel. Listen to Returning Home every Thursday, only on Israel News Talk Radio. So welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. And, and as we promised, we have a great show ahead of us. Uh, I want to start it with 
a letter, an email that uh, that we received here at Israel News Talk Radio um, after my show last week. If you remember, those who tuned in last week, I spoke about Rav Chaim Kenievsky, and uh, I really spoke about how he says very clearly that a Jew should live in Israel. And there's a specifically, specifically a video going around where he tells a guy from from um, Lakewood, who who asks, you know, people in Lakewood. There are some people who are, who, uh, who would love to come here, but you know, they they can't do it right now. But there are others who say, you know, you shouldn't come until Mashiach comes. And Rav Chaim Kanievsky said the following: He said, Chalila, God forbid. Mitzvah lalot. It is a mitzvah to make aliyah. So anyway, I spoke about things like that the whole show, and we got the following uh, response from somebody with the initials TB. Okay, just in case the person is listening, they should know that we are. I am responding to her. Okay, everybody said it was a woman. Fine, her her email. She says, please ask the speaker if he is going to contribute to the expenses of making the Aliyah he cavalierly chides people about. Is he going to provide free real assistance in the paperwork, technical issues for the mitzvah of it? Or is it only Ukrainian Eastern Orthodox Christians whose ancestors murdered us who can get assistance? The glibness irritates me. If he wishes to provide assistance, he can email me back. So maybe I'll start responding by saying the following. If I had the money to be able to assist you and all the Jews out of the land of Israel and in the diaspora, I I would donate all of my money to just that, to helping Jews make Aliyah. No doubt about it. Um, but it sounds like from the from the uh, email that you very much want to make Aliyah. The only problem is that you can't afford it, and that it's difficult, and 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 therefore you don't like when I'm telling when uh, me and, and Josh when we speak so passionately about coming and making Aliyah as if it's such a simple thing to do. In reality. If everyone was like you and they really wanted to make Aliyah, and the only problem was that there are some technical or even financial difficulties, we'd be in good shape. The problem is that we're really talking to the people who don't even get it, who don't even understand why it's important to meet to, to live in Israel, for a Jew in, in our day and age to come pick up and move to Israel. There are so many people who have the means to do it and are not doing it. Those are the people we're really speaking to. Uh, not someone like you who seemingly, again, I'm not sure from the letter, but it could be that you really want to make Aliyah. You're just having a hard time financially making it work. Um, but even on that issue, um, it's so funny that you said that, am I going to provide free real assistance in the paperwork, technical issues for the mitzvah of it? There's actually a very, very special organization who does just that. It's called Nefesh Benefesh. When I made Aliyah 31 years ago, uh, there was no Nefesh Benefesh. I had to do all the paperwork myself, and I had to do, go through everything, all the different uh, ins and outs, and go to different offices and and and, and give the paperwork, fill out paperwork, and, and do everything, and it was a pain. But that certainly did not stop me from making Aliyah. But today, 
it's so much easier. You have an organization that's helping you. And the state of Israel helps you. The state of Israel gives all these different, it's called Sal Aliyah. They give you a break in, in, in buying a car. They give you a break in, in, uh, in rent, in buying a house. They help you as much as is humanly possible for a state that has absorbed more people than any per capita, right, than any other place in the world. Um, you know, to say that, that, you know, there's not, a, there's no one helping that is, we're just talking about how important it is, but not, you know, doing anything, lifting a finger to help is a little bit uh, disingenuous in my humble I, opinion. I, yeah, I'd please. Like add, add on to that and, and say that the organization that you just mentioned, Nefesh Benefesh is subsidized by the state of Israel and the state of Israel it doesn't have its own wallet that it divvies out money with. It's actually uh, supported by taxpayers' dollars. So you're, you, you and I that live here in Israel are actually, we, that's exactly what we are doing. We, with our own taxpayer dollars or shekels, we are paying for the state of Israel and Nefesh Benefesh to go out and help Jews be absorbed from around the world. So we are actually helping. That's exactly what we're doing. We, we are the ones, we are the backbone of the state and of these organizations to go and help Jews that are around the world to come home. That doesn't mean that we have to actually buy a house or actually uh, buy a car for someone or to give them a job, but there are organizations, as you properly mentioned, that do exactly that, that help with all these different things, and we are very proud to be able to support those organizations. So, again, I, I think that this is just like you said. I think that there there is... More than ever, I remember I came here uh, over 30 years ago as a lone soldier, and it was before it was a fad to come here as a lone soldier, so there weren't any support groups and organizations like you have today to support these people. So people have been doing it. The, the, I just gave a tour of here at the airport, and I just gave a tour to a group um, of European delegates. Um, they came from around Europe to, to, to come here and to study and to learn how Israel does it. Uh, I'll, I'll add on to that by saying that for the couple weeks that I was in Eastern Europe, I was interviewed numerous times by different uh, outlets around Europe. And I was always the first question is, how does Israel do it? They, they just they don't understand how Israel's always the first one on the scene. They're always they always have their act together. They always are able to do it. And, and our answer was very clear. Uh, our answer was that this, when we are bringing people to Israel, it's not like the Europeans. It's not like Germany. It's not like Austria. It's not like uh, uh, these other countries that are just temporarily providing assistance to these refugees. These aren't refugees. These are people that are coming home. I, I've been saying over the past weeks, I must have said it a hundred times, that there, there are no longer Jewish refugees. Jewish refugees was a concept that went out, went out the door over 70 years ago when we didn't have a state. So, you know, after World War II, there were dis DP camps. There are places where Jews just were stuck because there was nowhere for them to go. Today, they have a home. Today, they can come home. They're no longer Jewish refugees. There's always a home that is welcoming them with open arms and is happy to have them home and assist them in any way possible. So... I don't believe there are Jewish refugees. For me, they're just Jews that are coming home. And that's why we are so good at what we do, because we, we really understand how to bring them home. Our country, as you mentioned briefly before, 
our country is made up of immigrants. The, the majority of our country, the vast majority of our country, either in this generation or the past past generations, were, were immigrants of their own. They came from Morocco. They came from Yemen. They came from Ethiopia. They came from all around the world uh, to come back. And, and the, that that's half of the Jewish people today are in Israel because they are immigrants that were absorbed by the state. Uh, I, this is the message that I spoke about before. The, 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 the most serious message that I'm trying to get out now is that if you spoke to a Ukrainian Jew three weeks ago, they were very, very comfortable. They had nice houses, they had nice cars, they had nice jobs. And within a blink of an eye, they are running away for their lives with all of their belongings in one suitcase as so-called refugees. This is something that can that should be a wake-up call for all Jews around the world. Do you think that other countries in, in the United States, other Jews that are in, in, in Western Europe, you think they're not as vulnerable as the Ukraine? You think if God wants overnight to change the whole picture and to make to close a chapter of, of exile on the Jewish people, you think he couldn't make this, and I'm going to say this, and, and, I, and, I, and I mean it in this, and I'm trying to be sensitive when I say it, but a gentle push, because we're not talking here about a Holocaust. We're talking about people that, are, that have been pushed out overnight, have been told, made a very clear message that it's time to leave, it's time for them to come home. And there's nothing that hurt me more than when I see Jews getting on buses and going from Ukraine to Germany or going to Austria or going to any of the countries that are welcoming them. And it's very nice of them to welcome Jews in. But again, they have a home today. And to see them going, leaving one exile to go to another, to me, is, is just so ridiculous. And to me, I, that was one of the purposes of me going there was to try to encourage Jews to finally come home, to understand that they, they, they can put an end to this exile and they can finally come home to their real home and they can settle. And we will, like I said, welcome them with open arms and do whatever is necessary in order to help them uh, be absorbed here and, uh, and be comfortable here. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're very, like I said, I, for me, it, 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 I'm watching the ingathering of the exiles happen before our eyes. Tens of thousands of Jews coming home in one burst like I said, it's the, the, uh, the end of a long series now of different operations that have been done over the years in order to bring different Jews from around the world. And the big one, the one that really has, should learn their lesson from this, are the Jews of North America, the, the, the largest population outside of Israel today. It's time for them to take a lesson. They shouldn't come here as refugees with one suitcase. They don't have to wait for that. They can leave now comfortably, come here with all of the, sell what they have, come here very comfortably, live here without having to be pushed out. And uh, I hope they get that message. I hope that they understand that this is an opportunity that they have. And this is a warning to them that it's time to come home. We'll be right back. Okay. Listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 
This is Shai Bentecoa, and each week I'll be webcasting to you from Judea, origin of the word Jew, a people besieged and beleaguered in every generation. Nazi Germany's but a memory, but in its place the world invented the phantom Palestinians as this generation's internationally authorized Jew killers. Tune in for a different slant on life in Israel, Phantom Nation, every Monday. Unplugged, and I want to just continue for another few minutes uh, um, dealing with this uh, this letter, this uh, email that we got. And the other thing that this woman wrote was, or is it only Ukrainian Eastern Orthodox Christians whose ancestors murdered us who can get assistance? Okay. In other words, what she's trying to say is that you know the state of Israel is taking in all these Ukrainians, many of whom are not even Jewish. And, uh, you know, they get assistance, but what about us? What about us from Jews living uh, elsewhere? I, I don't know where she's from, but I assume she's from somewhere in North America. Um, so, you know, I, I'm going to really let Josh, uh, you know, discuss this more at length because he knows the you know what's going on. But I just want to make one comment before I give it over to Josh. Um, you know, it might be that uh, the sad truth is that the state of Israel is accepting and, and not only accepting as refugees, but accepting as full-fledged citizens, people who are not halachically Jewish. Because according to the law, I think, the law of return in Israel, as long as somebody has one grandparent out of four who was Jewish, that's enough to give them the law of return, the ability to come back and uh, become an automatic citizen of the state of Israel. And, and, and I, as a religious Jew, as a rabbi, I, I believe that that's a mistake. I think that we should only, we should only, we, we should only accept, certainly as full-fledged citizens, only those who are halachically Jewish. But, you know, my, my very simple question is, whose fault is that? Whose fault is it that the secular um, powers in Israel are the ones who make the decisions like this and not the religious. It's because the religious in Israel are a minority. Had all the religious Jews living outside the land of Israel come from the beginning, 70 years ago, and certainly more recently, had they all come and made Aliyah as the Torah commands us to do, so then we'd already be a majority, and we would make sure that the policy is that in order to become uh, a full-fledged citizen, you have to be halakhically Jewish, which means that your your mother has to be uh, has to be Jewish, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that to me is the most important answer, and that is, yeah, it might be very sad that Ukrainian Eastern Orthodox Christians whose ancestors murdered us are getting assistance, but uh, you know, but you aren't. Maybe. But as I explained, the fault lies with the religious community who has not answered the call of Aliyah from the beginning. Josh. Yeah, the, the Talmud states that the grandchildren, the descendants of Haman, of Haman, uh, are, were learning in yeshivas in Bnei Barak. They converted uh, to Judaism and they became part of the Jewish nation and they were the ones studying in yeshiva, yeshivas in Bnei Barak. We are living in an era where we don't always understand God's ways. We don't understand why certain people are being brought here and, uh, and, and who they are. I just want to give you one 
quick example, which I experienced personally when I was in Eastern Europe, which is, which is very touching. Uh, I shared it with the chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Lau, when he came to visit us in, uh, in Moldova. And that is a story of two small children, non-Jewish children, that we rescued from the Ukraine and we brought purposely to Israel uh, on Aliyah. And why did I work so hard to get these two children out of the Ukraine, uh, escaping the Ukraine and be brought to Israel? They were orphans. They were two non-Jewish orphans from the Ukraine whose grandparents, whose grandparents were actually uh, what are known as Kaside Umoto Olam. They were the righteous of the Gentiles. These are Jews, these are non-Jews, sorry, that saved Jewish lives in the Holocaust. And now we are, with a gratitude that we owe, of course, to these families, we are saving their descendants, we're saving their grandchildren and bringing them to Israel. And who knows, like I said, who knows what God's, God's ways and why, why things happen the way they happen, but we are assured that everything that happens here is divinely in, in, in uh, being orchestrated from above and uh, there are reasons for it. That, that having been said, it's very clear that people are being given a choice today. People have free will, and the ones that have the most free will are the ones that have the, the best ability to actually make the move. The, the people that are refugees that are stuck with nothing and have nowhere to go, they have very limited options in front of them. But someone who is living a comfortable life and, and today, everyone that's in North America, even if they're the poorest, I tell my children this all the time, that we are living in a generation in which, in which we are living on a higher standard of living than King David, than the greatest kings of, of history lived, you know, just the, by, by virtue of the fact that we have indoor plumbing, that we have, you know, basic necessities that come to that have, we can go into a supermarket whenever we want to buy food, we can go and get into our car and we can travel, right? These are things that, that for thousands of years, people didn't have that. Even kings and royalty didn't have the opportunity to have what we have today. So even the poorest person has the opportunity, if they have the will, to get on a plane, again, that, that is paid for by the state of Israel, by our tax dollars, um, to get on a plane, to come to Israel, to start a new life. It's not always easy. I'm not trying to paint it as something that's simple, that everybody, it's very hard to, to break ties with the exile. It's hard to start a new life. It's hard to learn a new language. These are not easy things. But when somebody has the will to do it, it is doable. It's been done many times. I'll just give you one quick other story. I just have so, so many stories. I'm not sure I can share them all on, on, on this uh, show. But I also assisted on bringing a number of Holocaust survivors, people that, is, that were, were elderly. They were in their 90s. One was 100 years old. And these are people that were refugees for the second time. They were first brought... They were first thrown out of their, their homes in Ukraine by the Nazis, and now they've been thrown out a second time by, uh, by Putin, by the Russians. And finally, finally, even though they're very, these are people that are not youngsters, they're, like I said, in their 90s, they're coming home finally. Once and for all, they're coming back to their homeland. And this is something that is so moving to me to be able to see that, that after all these years and after all that they've gone through, they're able to come back to the state of Israel. They're coming back to Eretz Israel to their home. Is something that uh, that is, you know, really touched me personally. There, many things touched me when I was there, but the, just these two stories, both of the Holocaust survivors and of these two non-Jewish children that were the the descendants of righteous of the Gentiles. Both of these stories were very touching to me. 
Beautiful. Um, I want to just uh, make one last comment on the uh, on the email we received. Uh, the writer wrote uh, asking me, right? I was the one who gave the show last week, if I was going to contribute to the expenses of making the Aliyah that I chide people about. So, um, you know, as we said already a few times, there's no question that it's not a simple thing to do. Uh, but it's very important for Jews, especially, and this is a point that Josh already made, is that we have to have foresight. We have to look into the future because, and again, I, I don't want to make it, I know it's not an exact uh, comparison, but think about a Jew in the 1920s who had an opportunity to sell whatever he had and come to the the beginnings of the state of Israel before the state of Israel was, was even uh, established. Now, anybody seeing him doing that would have, th- would have thought he's absolutely out of his mind. Absolutely out of his mind. How could he do such a thing? It, it doesn't make sense financially. But as we all know, he would have made the smartest move ever because uh, if he would have stayed in Europe, he, he would have been killed. His whole family would have been killed and all of his money would have been would have been confiscated. Uh, um, so we have to think about the future also. So it might be difficult right now to uh, for certain people right, to make the move financially, but we have to think about the fact that exile is a punishment. Exile is not where we belong. All exiles have in the past ended and will in the future end. There's going to be a time where the Jews are going to return to the land of Israel as one and all the Jews, and there will be no more exile. Now, we can, we can do that in a nice way. We can come, like Josh mentioned, we could sell of our, all of our you know, belongings, come with a nice amount of money, and, and, and buy something here and be comfortable. Or we can be like refugees. And we have to think about it. We have to think about that right now, especially in our day and age where, where there are things going on in the world that, that are just mind-boggling. You know, I just, I just mentioned to somebody, uh, you know, the Gemara, the Talmud in, in, in Megillah on page 17 or 18, I'm not 100% sure, uh, speaks about, that Mashiach is going to come. First, it makes a statement that Mashiach is going to come in the seventh year, meaning in a Shemitah year. And then the Gemara says, but that can't be because there's another statement that says that Mashiach is going to come the year after a Shemitah year. So how could you say that he's going to come in the Shemitah year? He's going to come in the eighth year. So the Gemara answers, you're right. There's going to be a war in the Shemitah year, and a war is the beginning of redemption, that phrase of Etchalta de Geula, the beginning of redemption, is stated only once in all of Shas, and that is about war. War is the beginning of redemption. And therefore, when we say that the Mashiach is going to come in the seventh year, it means the war is going to start, which is the beginning of the redemption. And then in the eighth year, right afterwards, there's going to, there's going to be the actual coming of Mashiach. So we're living at a time where during a Shemitah year, there is a war going on, a war that who knows what it can turn into, maybe a major world war. And, you know, people are still just in their slumber. They're just sleeping as if nothing's happening. We're going to be here forever and ever, they think. They think they're going to be able to sell their house in 20 years from now for millions of dollars and be able to come comfortably. We don't know that that's going to be true. Stick with us. We're going to be right back after the break. 
I'm Rabbi David Aaron. The soul basics are the most profound, the most essential, and yet often the most neglected in our education. Join me for Soul Talk on Israel's News Talk Radio and discover the secrets to love, spiritual growth, and personal power. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. And uh, as you were speaking about before the break, we were speaking about how people have an opportunity now to come back in a comfortable, in a relatively comfortable way. They can sell their belongings, their houses are still have value in the States, and they still have savings in the bank that's worth something. I've watched over the past couple of weeks people that have lost everything, their whole life savings, uh, I'll just give you two quick stories. One is the, what I mentioned during the break to, to, the, to Tamara and to, to Rabbi Lichtman, that there, I saw so many people coming out of the Ukraine uh, and Russia that had their whole life savings. A lot of it they couldn't get out of the banks. And the, some of them that were even able to get their currency out of the banks, they came with, with suitcases or bags full of currency that was worth a, a, a nice fortune. Uh, before the war, and today, because of the decline of the the ruble and the Ukrainian currency, they uh, they are worth a fraction of what they were just a couple of weeks ago. This could easily happen to the U.S. dollar. Uh, we are seeing it happen. Actually, the decline of the U.S. dollar in so many ways, including it, it's uh, being pulled off of the petrol dollar, which is what's pumped it up as a uh, international world currency. Um, we are watching as the economy is in decline in the United States. And this is not, I'm not doing, saying this in order to scare people in order to come here. Again, we always on this show encourage Jews to come home for the right reasons because they want it, they should be coming home and because Hashem has told them that it's time to come home, uh, not because they're scared or running away from something. But if you ever needed a reason, an extra push, this is the time to understand that this is something that can happen just as easily as it happened in the past couple of weeks. Uh, we have, it says in the Talmud that when disasters happen around the world, even to any population, when there's a, a big earthquake in China or something happens, the Jewish people should take this as a note, as, as a warning for themselves, that this is something that, that, is, uh, that, that could happen to them and something that they should... Uh, be introspective and, and look at their own deeds and, and see what they can fix because this is something that can happen to them. And this is really something even more so when you're talking about a disaster which has affected so many tens of thousands of Jews that were in the, the Ukraine, in, in Ukraine. And now this is something, a warning sign, like I said, in bright lights to everybody, any Jew that's in ex, still in exile, that they should understand that this is the time that they should come home and they can come home comfortably. Whatever they have, this is this is the time they come home. Don't have to wait. They don't have to wait for them to come home with one suitcase. The other story I wanted to mention is that I watched as uh, as people came. Um, there was one family that I actually know personally from uh, from my former hotel, hometown in Pittsburgh. That their um, parents were in Ukraine, an elderly couple. And they decided that uh, they're going to leave because of the war. They had, they had legally were able to leave the country. 
And they took, basically, they packed one suitcase from their whole house from, of 80 years that they were living there. They packed one suitcase and they left, uh, left the country. We managed to get them out. Um, and as they were leaving, they, they intended that they would, you know, take this one suitcase of, of things. And then, you know, as the war calmed down, as things went back to so-called normal, they would go back to the house and they would gather the rest of their things. Uh, that wasn't what God had in mind. And uh, immediately after they left, a bomb fell on their house, destroying everything, destroying their whole house. They, they, all they had left was the one suitcase that they packed and they came to the border with. Eighty years of belongings that they, they gathered together, that they collected, were all gone. And they were left with this one suitcase. But thank God they were alive. And uh, thank God they're on their way home. So that, that's what we can only wish of everybody that they should be on their way home, like, like we have been saying, with, as, you know, with all the wealth that they have now, whatever it is, it's more than, hopefully, it's more than one suitcase that, they could, that these people are stuck with. And this should be a warning sign to everyone uh, that is in the, uh, in, in the more comfortable places in North America, that this is the time to sell your things. This is the time to uh, take your savings out of U.S. dollars and to move them to the Israeli shekel, which, thank God, is stronger than ever, and uh, I think has much more of a future than uh, the U.S. dollar does. But uh, again, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just telling. I'm just reading what's on the wall, uh, which is very clear to me that these are signs to all the Jewish people everywhere in the exile. I think uh, on that point is a beautiful idea from from this week's parsha. So we know that this week's parsha starts the uh, the discussion about tzarat, the affliction of tzarat. I don't want to translate it as leprosy because it's not really leprosy, but uh, some kind of an affliction. And the midrash Tanhuma tells uh, the following beautiful story. It says that there was a kohen who used to see, meaning diagnose tzarat afflictions. But he became very poor, and he decided to go to Chutzlaretz. He decided that he can't make it anymore in Israel. He decided to leave and go uh, abroad. But before he left, he called upon his wife. So he was going to leave. He was going to leave his family behind, and I guess try to make money and bring it back. Anyway, he called his wife over, and he said, "Listen, you know, people come to me all the time, and 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 I'm supposed to diagnose their affliction, whether it's uh, tummy or not, whether they have." Sarat or not, but um, you know, I'm going to be leaving, so I'm going to have to. I'm going to teach you exactly how to di diagnose these afflictions. And he said to his wife as follows: If you see that the wellspring of a person's hair has dried up, you can be sure that he is plagued, that he has sarat. For God created a separate wellspring for every single hair from which it drinks. And if the wellspring dries up, so does the hair. So his wife looked at him and said, If the Holy One, blessed be he, created a separate wellspring for every single hair, then he will certainly provide sustenance for you, a human being with many hairs upon whom your, child, your children depend. Therefore, she did not let him leave the land. In other words, she said, you know, Think about what you yourself said. If God can, you know, create a wellspring for one little hair, he can certainly create a wellspring for an entire human being. So, so many people who are afraid of coming on Aliyah because they're afraid they're not going to get Parnassah, they're not going to have a livelihood, 
They're not going to make enough money. Um, that actually shows a lack of bitachon, of trust in God, because God can provide for you wherever you are. And if he provided for you outside the land, he can certainly provide for, me, for you in the land. That doesn't mean you're going to make as much money, because maybe you don't need as much money. Maybe it's actually better to live in Israel and have a more simple life and not you know, have everything you, you want so that you can be closer to Hashem, that you can be a better servant of Hashem, not so uh, materialistic. Uh, there are so many advantages of living in Israel, and this this is actually one of them. And we really have to think about this. You know, we're, we're talking about you know taking all your money with you, whatever. If you have the opportunity, you should you should uh, really really take it up right now, and not worry about what's going to be in the future. God can provide for anybody He wants to. Right there, there's definitely no guarantees, but I can t- I can attest that I know people personally that came to Israel and uh, they had nice jobs in the States and they are making uh, much more than they actually were made uh, in the States. It could happen. They're, you know, they're in the right, uh, in the right area. They're in profession. The right, right. They're in the right profession, but they, they're, they're actually making a lot more here than they were making in the States. And again, it, that's up to Hashem. We have to make our moves. We have to do what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to leave the rest to Hashem. If you just think back a couple of generations ago, two generations ago, people that came here uh, and they were starving in the streets. They're people that came here and, and, and risked everything to, to live here, even in the, in the worst conditions, uh, to, to clean out malaria-infested swamps. And, 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 and there are children that, that died of starvation. It's things that, that we can't even imagine today. And these people came here anyways because they understood it was the right thing today. And today we have it, like I said, we have it so, so good. Even the poorest people, no one's worried about starvation here. Nobody's. And then if somebody is truly, let me, let me just make, preface this. There are legitimate reasons for not coming to Israel. If somebody really believes that they're going to starve here, they're not going to be able to feed their family. They're not going to be able to, to do anything. That, then, then perhaps that is a legitimate. They should speak to their, their local Orthodox rabbi and discuss it with them. Perhaps they have a legitimate reason to make some money in the States and, or wherever they are and come and then come home afterwards. And it's a temporary legitimate reason to not be here. But the vast majority of people are not in that position where they are, you know, living off of, uh, you know, with, with no, with nothing, you know, they don't have any possessions and they're not able to even get a, a free nefesh benefesh flight here and a basic job to provide for their family. Most people have that opportunity Take advantage of it now. Take advantage of it while you can, and while it's convenient, and uh, and make the best of it. You know, prices, real estate prices are only going up here in Israel. Uh, the, the the first move that everybody should make is to come here and to buy a house. To buy, and I'm not uh, not saying that because I'm trying to sell real estate. I'm saying saying that because you know that seems like a perfect first move. Send your kids here. Send your kids here to yeshiva, not just the yeshiva and to seminary, but to stay here. Right. Get the next generation here. And then, as I said many times before, that'll encourage the parents and the grandparents to come once they see that their their next generation has already moved here and come home. They're also going to follow naturally in their footsteps. So we hope that we all manage to bring them home. That is the goal of this show. And we thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we hope that you'll be back next week for another exciting show. 
Yes, uh, thank you for joining us. And, um, you know, if uh, you're always welcome to uh, send an email. Uh, we, are, we always encourage you to call in. But if you don't want to call in and speak on the air, send an email and like this woman did. And, uh, you know, we'll try to answer you. Thank you. See you next week. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.